Hello, friend, and welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And today you are listening to a special replay from April 2021 when I invited my dear friend, uh, Doc Mar from the Netherlands, to join me here on the podcast. Doc Mar had some really great questions about faith. She shared her own personal journey. And I love that Doc Mar is like family to me. And we have a special relationship. So I have very much enjoyed listening to these episodes multiple times myself. And as we prepare for season five coming up in February, Lord willing, um, I wanted to share some of my favorite episodes with you as we prepare. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome this podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is a hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. So friend, if you were open to finding faith, enough so that as an agnostic living in a secular culture, you volunteered to go on a journey about finding something real in relationship with Jesus Christ, and you were at a point where you thought maybe God was speaking to you after several faith conversations, you were maybe starting to see the world a little differently through a lens of how could this all be by accident? But she still had questions and uncertainty, but something was definitely maybe changing for you. What would come next? Let's find out today, shall we? Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And frankly, today's bonus podcast episode is noteworthy and meaningful to me for several reasons, friend. First of all, I'm here with my April co-host, Doc Marr from the Netherlands. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that every month this year, my hope is to have a co-host join me on the Finding Something Real podcast. Each co-host is sharing her faith story with me, along with some real questions she has about Christianity. And together, we're inviting guests to join us and share their own stories and perhaps answer some of my co-host's honest questions about faith. This month, my co-host has been Doc Marr. Her older sister was an exchange student who came and lived with us for 10 months. And even though she's been gone for almost four years, Lika has become like a daughter to us. We talk every week, and her family has become our Dutch family. And so Doc Marr is a very special person in my life. And my intro at the top of today's episode was not hyperbole, <laughs> I promise. Everything I shared, those are things that Doc Marr has shared on this podcast as we've gone about this journey together. 
she's thinking about it, but it's true. (laughs) So Fred, first of all, please, if you haven't already, go back and listen to all of the episodes with Doc Marr. We've had some great conversations with guests, and I'm just grateful for Doc Marr and her honesty, her vulnerability, and all of this. And so Doc Marr, welcome back. Thank you for having me. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've had a long day. So yeah, but I'm I'm good. Yeah. Well, I know you've shared that some people in your life have strong opinions about religion or faith, maybe against it. Um, so how has it been for you, this journey in that sense? Do you feel like you can talk about this journey with other people? Yeah, no, I can definitely talk about it. It's, um, it's not like they are definitely against faith. Um, it's more that some of them just couldn't believe it for themselves. Um, yeah, so I can definitely talk to them about it and their understanding, but they just wouldn't feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. So you felt like you've been able to talk about this as you've gone through this process? Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So Doc Mar, I told you when we started this journey that people were going to love you and your journey. And I recently received a message from someone who I admire. She said, and this is a quote, I am just so thankful that you are doing what you're doing. I listened to the one with Yulia and Doc Mar, the end where you guys were crying. That was uh, just, God is doing amazing things. Um, so anyway, end quote, I am so thankful for you, Doc Mar, and your willingness to be here, even though I know it's hard to <laughs> have these conversations sometimes. I know you're blazing a trail, and I'm so thankful that you're here. So thank you. You're welcome. So, friend, real quick, I want to share about this is another hard transition. I want to share about Patreon. Today's episode is a bonus episode for everyone. We just had too much to talk about this month, um, which keeps happening, but we typically release one episode each week for all listeners of this program. But during the final week of the month, so this week, if you're listening to this, uh, the week it's released, we do an additional something. My co-host and I record a low-key, raw conversation where she shares about what this process has been like for her. We comb through each episode we've recorded together, and it's just the two of us talking. There's no bells or whistles on that episode. It's just two people talking about what impact these kind of conversations have made or not, and it's for our Patreon subscribers. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a way for creatives to be funded by people who care about what they're doing. And it's not a donation. There's an exchange. So when you sign up to be a Patreon member, you get that bonus episode each month. And there's other perks like stickers and things like that. So please check that out. Uh, Patreon starts at about the price of a cup of coffee these days. And it makes a difference in the future of this program. As always, you can find out more about that by visiting findingsomethingreal.com and looking for support at the top of the page. So I mentioned that this episode was special in more ways than one. And here's the thing. About eight months ago, I had a pastor on here and our recorded conversation was so meaningful that I've now talked about it dozens of times since then. In fact, that episode has been in the Finding Something Real show notes so many times that a few months ago, my assistant Tara remarked that she needed to listen to that episode because it must have been something remarkable to have been referenced so many times. And the truth is, friend, it was special, and here's why. I knew after that episode that I wanted to do this on the podcast. I knew as much as I was able, I wanted to create a space for young women, a place where they could be authentic, and a place where they could hear about how much Jesus Christ loves them. 
My exchange daughter, Lika, co-hosted that episode with me, and we had the privilege of talking to a guy named Josh White. You've probably heard me talk about some of the things he said in that episode before. I've misquoted him many times on topics of <laughs> for everything from love, uh, being God's character, to light shining in a blind person's eyes, to not front-loading the gospel, to latter theology. I've also listened to those Charles Price sermons because of him. He's the guy who shared all that stuff. He's also the lead pastor of Door of Hope in Portland, Oregon. He's a self-described amateur, but he's accomplished in many things, including music. He's been in some pretty successful bands, writing. He's been working on his first book, The Good Death, reading. He's constantly quoting ideas that he's gathered from various authors and theologians. He loves his wife, Darcy, and his kids. He talks about them all the time. And I admire all those things. But the thing that I really respect and find so compelling about him, friend, and why I keep referencing the last podcast is the way he talks about Jesus and the gospel. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, Josh White. Thanks, Janelle. I don't know what to say to that. I thought you were going to say you're most impressed with my gold front tooth, but that's cool. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. Uh, I loved what you said, though, at Le- Luis Palau's memorial, where you talked about how he said, uh, here's my friend Josh. Uh, he looks like a criminal, but he's really a man of God, isn't that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. He's a godly man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my husband and I and our kids have watched uh, quite a few of the sermons coming out of the Door of Hope Church. And I want to say, this is another uh, thing that is compelling to me as a Christian, I've seen many pastors get super focused on cultural issues to the point where the gospel almost becomes a secondary thought. Um, and I've also seen churches get hyper-focused on missional living, but forget about the culture around them at times. And to be honest, uh, I don't see a lot of churches that are able to bridge the two. And that's something that my husband and I admire about what is happening at Door of Hope. You live in a city, uh, Portland, Oregon, that prides itself on keeping itself weird. And you've talked about the offensiveness of the gospel last time you were here so how do you keep sharing an offensive message and loving the culture around you at the same time? Yeah. Um, well, I would, I would just begin by saying that Christians, unfortunately, are often offensive for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and I think, honestly, one of the things that makes, I, I can make uh, Christianity so off-putting to a non-believer is when Christians try um, too hard. I mean, you know, you just feel it when you're just like, you're trying to be so relevant that somehow there's a, there's a dishonesty or a disingenuous. I would say that Christians, unfortunately should be the most, they should be the most vulnerable people on the planet. I mean, if we recognize that we're fundamentally broken in every arena of our lives and that unless God actually does something about it, we would remain in a lost state. And even after we're found, we still have this incredible ability to get continually lost. Uh, if we actually were humble enough to recognize that that's the world we live in, that's the bodies, that's the minds we live in. Um, I think that we would, we would spend a lot less time trying um, to make Jesus somehow more palatable for modern sensibilities. I don't think that lost people are wanting to know if, you know, is Jesus cool? I think most people just want to know, can he help me? Uh, can he, can he, can he actually enter into my lost condition? And I mean, people, people are broken, they're hurting. I mean, I, one of my dear friends committed suicide last week and, um, you know, she, I, she even met Jesus. Um, but 
the world is an intense place. Life, uh, in the words of Frederick Buechner, is impossible. Um, and that's why we need the impossible possibility of something bigger than ourselves uh, to adhere to. So I think that what people are looking for is just an authenticity. I always say that it's not my responsibility to make Dagmar believe in Jesus, <laughs> but it is my responsibility to make her believe that I believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, so if she isn't convinced that I believe what I'm telling her, uh, I'm not going to be very compelling in sharing the gospel. And so, and the offensiveness, the, the healthy offensiveness, gospel is always, a, I, the gospel can offend me, uh, even though it's my lifeline, because it's constantly confronting us with the reality of what we are. Um, and, and that it, it continually shows us our, our blind spots and, it, and our weaknesses and our brokenness and the ways that we can, the ways that we hurt um, one another and our own manipulation and our egos and all of those things. It's constantly confronting those things. But the reason it's offensive is because it confronts those things with, with a ruthless love in which Jesus is like, it's offensive that Jesus says you can't save, save yourself. Um, and then it's also offensive um, that Jesus says, I love you, even though I know everything about you. Because you're like, how is that possible? Because everything we know in human experience, our love is contingent upon uh, what people do for us. And so I think that there's, I actually think the kindness of God is what scripture tells us leads people to repentance. And I think some people, I have watched people run i've actually had people run out of my office sobbing because i told them that jesus loved them and it's like they couldn't they couldn't even handle that it's like it's the thing they want the most but they couldn't allow themselves uh, to to accept it and so that's the kind of offensiveness uh, it's offensive to say that there's a god i mean it's foolishness to people it says it's foolishness to those that um to those who are perishing that this idea that there's a god in heaven who created all things and yet the world is as bad and as fundamentally broken as it is and yet he isn't willing to release it but enter into it in this kind of beautiful way and actually i would say that god didn't just come to identify with our humanity he came to identify with our with our brokenness and that's that's why jesus is so compelling um, but it's also the thing that is really hard for people and i, I think unless the holy spirit illuminates our hearts and minds which is what gives me the boldness to share because I don't believe that I save anyone. Um, I'm just supposed to be a witness. I just always say I'm supposed to be like Will Ferrell. Dangmar, have you ever seen that movie Elf? The Christmas movie, Elf? No, I have What? What? <laughs> so what have we done wrong? <laughs> I'm like, I even know really good, I, one of my favorite bands is from the Netherlands. Uh, you know that band Balthazar? Which? Hmm? But Balthazar, have you heard them? Maybe if I hear like a song of them, but not by name. Yeah, they're they're awesome. They're not very big in the U.S., but I think they're really big, big where you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, there's a scene. This Will Ferrell's a famous actor from Saturday Night Live, really funny, and he plays an an elf that goes looking for, uh, looking for his his family he discovers that he's not an elf that he's a human being and he has to go to new york city and uh and in the movie he falls in love and he's he's got this joyous kind of childlike spirit and he 
and everybody loves him, but he's a complete nut job. <laughs> and he busts into his father's office and he goes, I'm in love and I don't care who knows. I think that's what Christians should be like. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of problematic for people that, you know, love to live in a consistent state of bitterness and, <laughs> and anger and I don't victimization. I really loves to live in that kind of state of life. <laughs> it, in Portland, it sort of feels like we celebrate it. <laughs> so we're the whitest city in the United States and we're the angriest about, uh, about, uh, about the African-American experience. I, I just had one of my, one of my dearest friends who's a black pastor in, in New York. And he called me and he goes, dude, what's wrong with your city? It's like, <laughs> He's like, you're, he goes, your white friends can't be more angry about what happens to me than I am. <laughs> oh, firmly they can. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, well, I, I get it. I just think they just, you know, we want something. We want something to be upset about. Um, but yeah, I think that there is a, there's a, a real, there is this kind of victim, victimhood culture in, mm-hmm. in the U.S. right now that's, it's like, I'm this way because of that person. It's, there's always this desire to point the finger at everyone around us without ever possibly considering that we're all contributing to the problems. Um, and so uh, that's where I think the gospel has a unique voice. It's different than anything else. Mm. Mar, I know you have some questions yourself. I definitely, I mean, I have a bunch of things I could go into, but I think I'm going to let you, this is your bonus episode. These are your questions. Uh, I'd love for you to take over and, and ask the things that are still that you're still wrestling with. Okay, so because of course you are focused on the Bible uh, and the gospel, um, one of my questions was why believe in the Bible? Why not just uh, God and Jesus? Even though that uh, in my conversation with Julia was like more the Bible is more like guidelines and rules, but why would I believe in the Bible? since it's man-made sort of right yeah yeah sort of is probably the appropriate uh (laughs) um well i think that 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 one thing that's that's challenging in our in our current culture and portland's probably closest to europe uh of of any city in the u.s as far as um post-christian like so most kids like my kids you know have grown up their entire lives without any christian peers so um the, the city Portland has like le- the urban core has like less than one It's a very, very progressive city. So we're seeing for the first time, probably in U.S. history, you know, a major metropolitan city that is like literally has entire two generations now almost that have grown up without any sort of Christian roots or basis. And this is a constant question that we're asked, like, why should the scripture be authoritative? Um, and this is the problem is that in a post-Christian world you know, relativism has become the dominant ideology that, that we live by, which is the idea that I define for myself what is right and wrong. And so millennials, how how old are you? I'm 19. 19. Yeah. So you're the same age as my son, Henry. Um, And, uh, and you weirdly kind of look like my daughter, Hattie. (laughs) 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 So, uh, you know, we, we live in a time where it's that there's, there's this new movement among people within your demographic. I just read this really profound book by this woman who's a, she's a um, PhD in, in religious studies, but she's not a Christian. And she writes for the New Yorker and the New York Times. 
Um, and her name's Tara Isabella Burton, and she wrote this book called Strange Rights, and her, it's it's called Finding, is it Finding the New Oh the New Religions of the Secular Age, and what she argues is that that young people do want religion. They want they want something to believe in, but she defines religion not as the pursuit of God, but as the pursuit of meaning. Um, purpose, uh, community, and ritual. But she says, the problem is that we have rejected, or she said, not the problem, this new era says that if I can curate my Facebook page, why can't I curate my own spirituality? Um, and so when I read through the book, she's making arguments for it. And I'm just seeing like, well, it's just, it doesn't lead anywhere. It's like, and so she uses the examples of like Instagram. There's, you know, there's all these little subcultures in Instagram and or in TikTok or and all these social media. Like you can have people that just follow people that are into exercise, you know. So it's like health, like obsession with being in shape and you know, calisthenics or diet groups, you know. Then there's like there's there's all sorts of like musician. I've, I've noticed this new one where like people just play their instrument into the camera and never say anything. And they like, that's their new way of expressing music, which is always kind of funny to me. I should do that. I actually just got a keyboard from the Netherlands. Look at this thing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really, it looks like a toy. Yeah, it's, it does. Kind of is a toy. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but made by a company called Teenage Technologies. <laughs> um, Probably I, made I by Teenage this, <laughs> probably really really smart ones if that's the case uh, but it, but the the idea is that we don't want the the new generation doesn't want anything they reject authority they they don't like dogma which dogma is like a set a set system of beliefs that have been in place for a long time so it's kind of like a rejection of history um they don't and they they struggle with moralism in any form uh so like nothing everything is everything goes there is no right and wrong in portland there is no there's barely a right and wrong although it's not true because look at the movements for social justice it's like everybody wants something to say i'm for this which means i'm against this but but the moment you try to kind of push into it and say but what about that doesn't make sense if this isn't true and they're like oh, i never thought about that so there's this of truth in general, um, which is what has made people kind of question scripture. And the idea is, I, you know, not only that, we live in a, in America, post-Christian is really weird because we're full-blown capitalism. So it's like, so we don't trust anything that we can't buy. We don't want free things. <laughs> we want to, we, we actually find its value in the fact that we could buy it. It's like, it's, it's so like, we want to be able to say that we possess it or own it. So scripture kind of kind of sits outside of this and where I disagree with with Tara Isabella Burton is that um, I agree with her that that is what religion is I don't I don't see religion as connected to God really at all um, because religion is continu our continual pursuit to derive meaning in life by our own efforts where the gospel um, is consistently declaring to us that we're incapable of reaching God 
in our own efforts. In fact, we're so broken and so lost that it actually requires God to intervene into our lives. And this is why I think the Bible is trustworthy. First of all, it's withstood the test of time for over 2000 years. Um, I would also say more than that, there is nothing in the Western canon. Uh, and what I mean by that, European literature, European science, <laughs> uh, your country as well as mine, our hospitals, our schools, our, our legal systems, all of them derive their foundations, uh, much of the foundation from scripture itself. There's, there's something profound about the Bible that stands unique apart from any other book ever written. It's the greatest selling book of all time. I, isn't isn't uh, the Netherlands is, was a Lutheran, right? It's like, is it a Lutheran country like, uh, like Germany and oh. Scandinavia? Is is that the dominant? Uh, if if you were to find it, so yeah, I think so. I don't. That's healthy I, there. <laughs> I still don't know exactly what it's called. I know what it's called in Dutch, but I don't know what's called in English. Mm -hmm. Dutch Reformed well, is. Oh, yeah. Dutch. I think that's, so. Yeah, but that's only yeah. a small part of the community. Yeah, it's oh. it's Lutheran. I'm pretty okay. sure it's like the yeah. But they here's the thing: is that the that when we look at the scripture. I think we misunderstand the Bible, and this is where, uh, this is why there's struggles with how can I accept it? We do believe that it is written by human beings. It's true, but we believe that it's inspired. And the, one of the reasons that we believe it's inspired, and if you want to actually go into a deep dive in this, um, uh, you should check out. So my friend, Tim Mackey, he used to work for me, and he's probably the greatest Bible teacher in North America. He's young. And he's a PhD in Hebrew and Jewish studies. And he's an absolute Bible nerd. I mean, I'm talking Bible nerd off the chart. And he's done some really deep studies. Door of Hope actually has a whole, um, like a, I think like a five-hour teaching by him on how did we get the scripture? How did the scripture actually, how did these series of books, there's so many books in the Bible, they're written over a 2,000-year period. And they all have, there's different authors, and yet they're telling one consistent story. And, and that's the thing is, if you read the Bible as a story rather than a set of rules, uh, you find that its meaning is very, very different. Then a lot of times people who critique the scriptures, most of the time, I would argue, have not read them. So everyone's like, I'm not going to read a book that people wrote. Well, we believe that the Bible is, 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 God inspired um, writing so that literally there's the God of creation actually communicated his heart for you um, through these people. And that, that how does someone that wrote thousands of years ago speak something um, that could actually communicate anything to me in the 21st century? And the reality is, is that it does. It's, it's weird. It's like, there's, there's, yes, there's cultural things there's context, there's, there's, you know, archaic language, there's, it's easy to be weirded out by certain stories. Uh, there's a lot of, but what I love about the Bible is that a, most books that claim to be divine, you know, when you look at, uh, a look at uh, writings that, that claim some sort of unique divinity, they're usually wrapped in sort of these kind of mystical ideas that are almost impossible to penetrate. Whereas the scripture gives us this beautiful picture of a God who continually enters into 
um, uh, broken humanity. I would argue that if it was man-made, if the scripture was man-made, um, it, it would it would not depict humanity so bleakly. Um, because, uh, you, you, and what I mean by that is that everything in the Bible from literally the first, from the first book to the left to close essentially says the same thing that you suck so much more than you think you do, <laughs> that you are far crappier than you, than you want to believe. And I always like to tell my church, cause I'm an encourager by nature, that you're not a bigger failure than God already knows that you are. <laughs> and and that's, if that was like if i was going to write my own religion if i was going to create something i would want it to ref, i would want it to, to make me look good not worse i mean what's the purpose of having a faith that uh creating a faith that basically says i'm horrible at the core of my being um and but the, that's what the bible and and even the people that god uses to the bible um, one of the things I always found was so compelling is that is that the people that are used in scripture as the very conduits of God's, you know, saving message are deeply flawed human beings, with the exception of one, and that's Jesus. Um, and, and I think that that's, for me, I think there's lots of questions we can have about scripture. And I had a ton when I, I didn't come to faith until I was 27. The thing that got me is that I actually took the time. I came to faith through reading the Bible. Um, and I, I picked up a Bible that my mom had given me when I was 21. And I didn't read it. I just put it on a bookshelf and was actually mad that she gave me a Bible and not money. And, uh, um, and I picked it up. I was having a really hard time. My wife was on the verge of leaving me. Um, I, my, I had a, a rock band that was doing really well and we lost our record deal. And I'd only been married for and for two years. And I was just like, I thought my life was over at 27. I was like, everything that I've worked for just fell apart. And now I might lose my wife. And I was like, it was just kind of a desperate measure. I'm like, well, let's just see if this thing has anything to say to me. And I just kind of intuitively thought like, if I'm going to think anything about Christianity, I just need to begin with Jesus. So I just started in the gospels and the first, you know, the first uh, books in the new Testament, like it, which is, well, the second half of the Bible, it gives us this, this incredible story that this man, Jesus, who claimed to be one with God. Um, and as I read the teachings of Jesus, I realized that all of the criticisms that I had, that I myself had, that my friends had um, of Christ, what I even would hear in the news or media, they didn't line up with what I was reading. And what I saw in the person of Jesus is that Everything that he said seemed to be true, but impossible. <laughs> and he had a beauty that was so compelling that I just began, I don't know, something just began to happen. I mean, I was like, there's something about Jesus that stands uniquely apart from any other world religion I've ever explored. Um, every other religion I've ever explored, there seems to be like an un unreachable reality to it. And G although Jesus's teaching seemed impossible, at the same time, he himself seems so down to earth, so deeply invested in, in hurting people. Um, he wasn't trying to teach people how to escape their pain like Buddha. Um, he, was, he was saying, I will be with you in your pain. And I found that message unique. Not, there is nothing like it nothing like it. If you read the Quran, which I've read, it's very difficult to read. Um, all is, is, is unknowable. 
uh, you're never actually even sure that you're okay with him. Uh, he's so holy that to even think in terms of him entering into the human experience would be actually blasphemous to say that Allah would identify with sinful humans. You have to prove your worth to him where the gospel continually comes at us. And this is why I find scripture so compelling is that this, that the gospel as revealed in scripture is continually telling you it's not a book of, of rules. It's a book of revealing that the the holiness of God or his perfect standards are actually impossible for us, which is why we need God to actually enter into our, our story on our behalf to set right what has gone wrong in his world. And uh, I, I think, you know, on a technical side, I would just simply say this. I don't believe that, that um, I think that the books of the Bible uh, sort of pick themselves more than selected by men. A lot of people have asked me, how do, you know, how do we know which, books to to trust it wasn't it true that there was councils that put together you know what we have as the bible today but those the books for example there's a series of kind of rules around what that is essentially followed when it comes to the new testament for example and the new testament is that the writers needed to be eyewitnesses of jesus's life so lots of books were written about jesus 200 years after he lived but the writers of the New Testament, with the exception of Paul, um, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, but here's the difference. He, either they were eyewitnesses of Jesus or they were known and accepted by those eyewitnesses, the original apostles, and accepted by the church communities as a whole. So the books that actually ended up being compiled to make up the Bible were actually already, they had already been accepted and exercised and practiced by the communities of faith so that when those early church councils said let's put together what is god's word it was already defined by the church itself um, and when i say church i mean churches all over the the known world at the time these were the these were the letters that were already seen as authoritative that seemed that that seemed to inspire a transformed life the thing i would say is that the bible does not save us though uh, it's not god I, what I see the Bible as is not a not a book of rules, but as a map um, that directs us, or is consistently pointing us toward the one who loves us, the the one who, the, what the Scripture declares is a God who says, "On your worst stinking day, He's crazy about you," and that's why I find it so compelling. And the fact that all of those books written over thousands of years all seamlessly work together to tell one story and it all points to Jesus. Hmm. Is that helpful? Yeah, it is. Definitely. Now I kind of feel like <laughs> I have to read the Bible. <laughs> uh, that's, that would be good. <laughs> but I would, I wouldn't, I would start, I literally would start just read, read one of the gospels, read, read the gospel of John. And so yeah, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, there's, there's four, the first four books of the New Testament are the stories of Jesus's life. And they're told from, they're, they're the people always get, my wife, my wife didn't come to faith till she was 32. And she, she read, when it's the first time she read it, she's like, I always thought that the gospels, A, I didn't know that that was separate books in the Bible. And she was, I always thought they were going to tell different sections of Jesus's life. I didn't know they were all telling the same section but just from different angles and there's like repetition of stories, but the, but each author tells 
about the ministry of Jesus. They're not, they're not biographies. They're, they're literally just a snapshot of his ministry because the focus of the Bible is not to give you uh, a detailed account of the life of Jesus. The purpose of the scripture is to give us a detailed account of God's redemption plan for your life. Like they're to give us insight into why it is we should believe that Jesus really is who he said he is. And so I always say, start with the gospel of John. That's the fourth book in the new Testament. And it's the most powerful in terms of it consistently declares that Jesus is God. Um, and each gospel kind of focuses on a different thing. Matthew focuses on the idea that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel was awaiting. Mark focuses on Jesus um, as a servant rather than at, that he's the king who reveals his kingship, not by ruling over people, but by serving them to the point of death. Luke shows Jesus as true human being, the humanity that we would want to be. And then John shows Jesus as God himself. Um, and, the, and when you put those all together, you have this beautiful picture of Jesus is the rightful king. He's the servant and his kingship is revealed by servant, his service to humanity, that he is not just God, but he is man as God, God intended man to be. And then finally, he and he and the father are one that God and the, the importance of that is that God, you and I are made for relationship. We're talking about this in relationship. It'd be very difficult for you to discover this on your own. We would all be like people like Platon, Plato's Republic. We'd be like the people in a cave groping around in the darkness. We need community to actually come to conclusions about what we should believe. Well, the reason that we need community is because we, as Christians, believe we are made in the image of a God who is a community within himself. And so that's what when people you hear that word, the Trinity, what we believe is that one God is revealed in three persons. There there's three distinct personalities. And so God is like a community within himself. And I think of the way to think about it is like a family. It's like a singular family, my wife, my son, my daughter where there's a oneness to us in that we, we all, we kind of talk the same. We, we look alike, you know, we, we share, I'm wearing my son's shirt because he's cooler <laughs> than me. Uh, I, you know, there's, there's this reality. I mean, that, it breaks down because there is more of a oneness to God. He is one, but he's three persons. And, uh, and I think that that's the beauty. Um, that's the beauty of, of the gospel is that we believe that Jesus is a revelation of a, of a God who is communal within himself and that the essence of salvation is actually beginning to enter into right relationships, not only with God, but with others. And then only then with yourself. It's a lot. Dagmar, what are you, what are you thinking right hey, now? <laughs> take that in, take that in. <laughs> Microphone drop. It's like a fire hose. <laughs> yeah. I, just... I am a fire hose. I <laughs> Oh, I'm just kind of taking it all in right now. Um, but yeah, I will definitely have to read the Bible. That's for sure. At, at least if I yeah. want to come to a conclusion, which I think I do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely something. And when you talk about conclusion, I always say it's important. It's about faith, right? Like, I mean, that's what we hear about. It's, you know, the gospel isn't about you working to prove that you're savable. Uh, it's about, it's about saying yes to a God who's already declared yes over your life. 
and uh, and faith. Um, faith is not just I believe Jesus is God. Faith is actually allowing God. Um, it's letting God. You're you're. I'm assuming you're sitting on a chair right now, uh, and you're not you're not standing. You're sitting yeah. on something. Uh, you you that's faith. You you exercised faith when you sat down on that couch. You you let the couch do something for you. Did you even think about it? Um, not at no. all. Like <laughs> kind of. No, no. You see, it, yeah, it's an unconscious faith. You're not thinking about. I hope this couch holds me up. I hope it holds me up. Like you just sat down on it. You are now. <laughs> your faith in that object. Yeah. Your, your, your faith in the object allowed that object to do something for you. When you get into an airplane, uh, you, are, you aren't just saying you believe airplanes exist. You're, you, you believe that this thing uh, that can, is a metal tube that can fly <laughs> over oceans um, is able to safely transport you from point A to point B. Uh, so faith isn't just saying, I believe airplanes exist. True faith in flying means you got on a plane and you let the plane do something for you. You weren't able to do anything for it other than get on the plane. Um, and so it's, a, it's almost a surrender to that thing. You, I mean, you are entrusting your life um, to an airplane. You're, you're exercising faith every time you get in a car that it will safely transport you from point A to point B. And so Faith is always, true faith is, a, is letting the object in which you have trusted do the thing that it's created to do for you. And so I think that it's important to understand that when you talk about coming to a conclusion, um, there's a lot of things that we exercise faith in that we don't have a complete understanding of. I mean, you, you believe that you have a mind, but the mind is a mysterious thing and we don't always know how it works. You know, there's th that, even that sense that we believe that, that our lives are meant for something more. There's a lot of things that we actually, that actually motivate us every single day that we don't fully comprehend, but we, but we, um, it's, it's, we apprehend it. Uh, and, and you know what that word apprehend means? You're using difficult words. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. So comprehend is like, I understand. I could tell you exactly how it works. Appreh mm -hmm. Apprehension is uh, is a different word that means you sense the truth of the thing, but you couldn't explain it. Um, so, yeah, you know, like I I know what it feels like to be in love. It's very difficult for me to say what that actually means. Um, I mean, I kind of know what it means, but I, I couldn't tell you. I can't explain like the mystery of romantic love. Like, I mean, that weird have you ever been in love yet? Are you in love? Are you with, are you with someone? Yeah. You know that, like, that's an unexplainable experience. Like, I mean, okay, you're attracted to the person, you hang out with them, but then there's something deeper than that where you're just like, like, why is, all I want to do is spend time with that person. I'm a pretty obsessive person. So when I met my wife, the first thing I said is, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, and she believed me and I was even wearing makeup. So it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, but I couldn't, I knew I was in love with her. I knew I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life after one week. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't explain why. And so I think that, 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 that same truth applies to faith, that there's no way there's mystery involved in this. Like it's mysterious. I, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus really did die 
for the sins of the world. I really believe that people are sinful, that we are by nature rebellious, and but we but that we want to be better, but we don't know how to be. Um, and, you know, I think that that is like, I can't explain the ins and outs of it, but there's a, there's a deep abiding conviction. And as I, I would say that the conviction begins with an apprehension, I sense its truth. And then we begin the journey of coming to conclusions. We, we have to come to enough of a conclusion that Jesus is who he said he is, but you're not, not going to understand everything. There's no way to understand everything there. You need to understand so that you can cross every T and dot every I, you know, that's impossible. So, yeah. so you don't have to feel like you're asked every day to believe in things that you don't have enough information about to believe in. I mean, the news is constantly demanding us to believe what it says but we don't know the people it's talking about. We don't know the details of their lives. Um, but somehow the human heart naturally, we're very comfortable believing lies, um, but it seems to be, it's, it can be very difficult for us to believe in the truth. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's easier to believe in a truth that sounds believable, uh, in a lie that sounds believable than a truth that sounds inexplicable. Yeah, or d difficult yeah. or mysterious. But I think when you step back, for me, what compelled me was when I stepped back and started realizing that so much in my life was inexplicable. <laughs> like there was that in, in, in actually the things that mattered to me the most were mysterious, almost miracles. Like music, I don't, I don't comprehend music, it's, I, but I've been making it for 30 years but I don't know why it's so powerful. I can't, I can't even really tell you what it is. I was actually just talking with my friend, Diane, and she's, she's deaf. Um, so she, she can't hear, but she had this, it's a special implant that's called a colloquial implant that actually allows her to hear. So she can hear, and it's a miracle of science. I mean, she, it's a, literally like a computer chip that's put into her head that allows her to hear. But the one thing she can't hear is music. Um, she said it, it actually, it's incapable of translating music because music actually transcends even what we understand about the basic science of hearing. Isn't that fascinating? I was like, mm -hmm. I just found this out and I was like, that is fascinating. Like that makes so much sense because isn't it weird that a song can, my friend committed suicide last week and I helped her record a series of songs in 2009 and I listened to one of her songs yesterday and it's like, I can't explain the emotion that I was feeling listening to her voice and the comfort I got in it. And at the same time, this deep heartbreak that um, like in a, all of a sudden I was able to hear in the music, something that I, I didn't notice before, which was her suffering was already apparent in the song. Um, but I wasn't capable of, of, I wasn't capable of seeing it until, until she was already gone. And uh, I think that this is, you know, life is filled with mysteries that we fully embrace. And I would argue the best things in life are filled with a lot of mystery. Um, and that's why I think that it's, that one of the great lies in society is that I only am going to believe in things that can be proven when the fact is, is that we all believe in all sorts of things that can't be proven. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. But then, like, there are so many religions, and I know you, you just said, like, that Christianity is different for this reason and that reason, but 
I still don't know like how can I like set my mind upon one thing when every religion says that their religion is the truth. Yeah. I feel I well, feel I compelled that... to Christianity, I do, but then also I was sort of raised in a Christian environment, not really Christian, but it was the only faith that was around me when I grew up. So it's kind mm. of sort of like indoctrinated somewhere deep inside me but I still feel compelled to it and I feel like that's deeper but I don't know if that's like the indoctrine or the truth <laughs> yeah 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 uh well I mean uh, uh it seems to me like something else is happening with you because that's I mean I know lots of people that grew up in the church and I care less about it so uh you know there's I mean, a lot, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, most of the Bible Belt in America, the Midwest, you know, you would say that you're Baptist just because you were born there, but that's not the reality of how people live. And so um, the fact that you're even seeking out, like, what is, I, I would just say the scripture says this, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father draws them. Um, and, uh, the, the powerful reality is that you probably wouldn't be having this conversation with me unless there was, God wasn't already at work drawing you to himself because he loves you. Cause he's, I would say that God doesn't need us, but he's not content to live without us. <laughs> and uh, he, he, it's in his, it, it's, it's his nature to love us in spite of how unlovable we can be sometimes. <laughs> and so that's the great hope of, of the gospel. One of the things that, uh, so I would say a few things about Christianity uniquely standing apart from every other world religion. First of all, there's only a handful of what would be considered major world religions. There are lots of weird sects and cults and that kind of thing. Um, and I would say that the only, the only major world religions that you know, make up the majority of the world, you have Hinduism, you have Buddhism, you have Islam, and you have Judaism. Uh, and then, and then there are like, you know, some fringes, you know, uh, Confucianism, but not a lot. I don't know if you've ever met one. I haven't, there's, you know, there's some strange sects in, in India. You have, you know, you have in America, you have Christian cults, which are, they broke off from Christianity because they believed heretical things like Mormonism or Jehovah's witness. But the bottom line is that if that's like the kind of central, and I would argue actually one other world religion that would also be considered, I would consider a major world religion that is, um, is deeply problematic. And that is, um, that is humanism. And, and that's probably the most powerful um, religion in Europe right now. And that humanism is, is a materialistic worldview that we are our own, that humanity is, is God. Like that's the, the Richard Dawkins is the eight, the great atheist movements of, of America in Europe, just one second, shut this door. Um, uh, so I think that that this is the this is the reality. So when you look at those things, you have to ask the question of like what what are they what are they declaring to us? Um, and that's where it began for me to where the gospel stood uniquely apart. Judaism and Islam both are built fundamentally upon the idea that you have to do these things with Judaism, you have to keep the Torah, the law. And if you keep the law, God will accept you. Uh, the Quran, exact same thing. You keep the law, 
and God will accept you. <laughs> um, and if you don't, and the only way to guarantee your salvation actually is to die a martyr in, in Islam, uh, which is why we had so much insane kind of violent uh, kind of uprisings in, uh, in is that, and there's most Muslims are not violent, but the, the extreme groups is, is taking a very literal interpretation of the Quran. In Buddhism is unique. Buddhism is, there is no God in Buddhism. Uh, so Buddhism is more of a way of living. Uh, and, it, and its belief is that kind of God is in everything. And it's more connected to Hinduism, which is this belief that like the universe itself kind of is God, like it's one with God and God is within all of us. And uh, we just have to discover that interior light. And it's also done through a series of practices. So it still ultimately is works-based. I've got to do these things if I want to experience enlightenment. Christianity alone, humanism, I, I also just say finally, humanism is uh, the belief that all, kind of almost connected to Buddhism in a way, which is the belief that you are, you are your own, you know, you are the center of your own universe and your life is what you make out of it. So uh, a humanistic worldview is that there is no God at all. The only life you have is the life you're living, um, which can either lead to a nihilism, nothing matters, <laughs> uh, and life isn't worth living. And that's what I see in a lot of young people today. It's like what you see in Portland, the whole Antifa movement. It's like, there's like a nihilistic worldview. Like we just want to burn everything down. <laughs> and then, uh, or you have this kind of hyper, like self, self-help movement, you know, like there's, you know, you're awesome and you just have to figure out how to, you know, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Every single thing I just mentioned pulls its meaning out of you have to do these things if you want to experience whatever the salvation is that they're they're presenting. And that's false like dichotomy. The gospel is unique. I've been watching Dakmar's face yeah. as you've been sharing all these different things. And Dakmar had some feelings as you were going through. I'm just wondering if she can share any of those before you jump into the gospel here, Josh, because uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been watching. One of my thoughts was actually like uh, what you were sharing about rules and laws. Something kind of clicked inside my head. And it was like, that's sort of man-made because um, our government they make rules and if you don't abide by them you go to jail so it's more like punishment mm -hmm. but if you live by those rules in a religion and you don't obey to those rules then you won't get to go to heaven or go to hell or something mm -hmm. different. right so that kind of seems more man-made in a way mm -hmm. but so yeah. in christianity i don't i don't know the ins and outs yet but isn't it like if you are a very heavy sinner, you go to hell? Because I didn't think so, but maybe in some some cults of Christianity. Well, if if uh, if sinners go to hell, then everybody's going to hell. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, it, no. What what the scripture says is because of sin. So I think it's important to define like what what sin is, and so I think we have a false idea that sin is um, the little things we do wrong. You know, it's like, I, you know, I'm a heroin junkie. I'm, you know, I steal, I lie, I, I rob, whatever, whatever it might be. It, you know, think of the things that you think are, I, I, you know, I'm a murderer, all these things that we, they're like, they're things that we would society generally thinks are mm -hmm. bad. Although 
it's weird to me that that consistently is also being turned upside down on this head. Things that would have considered bad, you know, a hundred years ago um, are considered good and acceptable today. So, so I, that's not how we can define sin. I think a better way to define sin is, is to look at a biblical vision of it. Um, and, uh, and, and that is that sin is, is our desire to define for ourselves what is right and wrong. So it's in, and what I mean by that, it's, it's our desire to be our own God. Sin in its, in its essence is just a rebellion against the God who made you for himself, that he, that he, he loves you. And he knows that your, your deepest satisfaction and, and your purpose and meaning and your ability to thrive um, is, is dependent upon you drawing your life from him. Now, even sinners who want nothing to do, it doesn't matter what you believe, all people we believe exist because God has graciously given them life. Um, but false religion, uh, and which is idolatry, um, is, is the belief that our life actually is derived from something other than it is, which is God himself. And so sin is just our, is, are the things that we do. It's, it's the essence of our being really that naturally rebels against God um, and rejects his rule. And not only that, but rejects his grace as well. And grace is something really unique in that it's different than our concepts of love because grace is God loving you, not because you're lovable, but because he can't not love you. It's his, it's the essence of his being. It's consistently getting what you don't deserve. <laughs> um, you know, it's directly connected to mercy, um, but it's deeper than mercy because it's, it's, it's a, it's a love that pursues us into the dark. Um, and it's a, in, in what grace tells me is that it doesn't matter how deep of a hole I dig for myself, that God's love goes deeper still. Um, it's, it, grace is unfair uh, because God, what where the Bible tells us, you know, in America, we just had that trial of the man who knelt his knee upon George Floyd's neck. Um, and he was, he was declared guilty on all counts, right? Um, Derek Chauvin, you know about that, right? The the black man that died in America that caused oh, all the riots. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So so there was a trial. The the police officer that killed him um, was found guilty. So everyone, I'm watching Instagram and people are like, let him burn. You know, me rot in hell. Like all, you know, people are so angry and all the and but they're the justice that they wanted. Um, is only bringing about a bitterness because mm -hmm. if we hate the one who hated, do we not immediately become like him? <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, I was trying to talk to my daughter about that last night because she was like, I'm glad. Um, and I was saying a friend, I, I said, I was upset that a friend said, I hope he rots. And I'm like, that's not the right spirit. I want justice. But what I want and what you want more than justice, we want justice for everyone but ourselves. What we all want is grace. <laughs> what we want, and what I always say is that Jesus didn't just die for victims, he also died for the victimizer. He didn't just die for the black man who was killed under that cop's knee, he also died for the cop that killed him. Mm -hmm. And that's where the gospel is different because what Jesus says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what it, what that tells me is that sin is much deeper than just the little dumb things we do, or even the horribly big, bad things we do. Sin is, is a direct, 
is the direct outcome of us saying no to God, which is no to truth and yes to the lie, which is that I can be my own God. And so, um, so when we understand that, it's then that we can begin to understand where the gospel sits apart from other religions, because if sin, sin has left us incapable of reaching God in our own effort. And we all feel that all the time. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm 47 and I still am waiting to arrive. If you know what I mean? Like, I'm still like, like there's still time for me to be all that I can be. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I still finding myself like not, not quite, not quite. And, it, and then when we look at people that we love, like celebrities that we respect, that make it all the way to the top, they get as far as human accomplishment can make it. I mean, I've been doing music for 30 years and I'll still get the pangs of like, why didn't we make, why didn't I make it in my twenties? We were one of the biggest bands in, in Portland. Like I, like we were better than a lot of the bands that were huge. And, and I just, I got all frustrated and, uh, and I still have those pains, even as an adult pastor who wouldn't give up my life for anything. And it's because we still tend to believe the lie that if I had what that person had, I would be more happy. And then when you have a celebrity, like a super famous person killed themselves, we're so offended. And you know why we're offended? I think we don't get upset because we feel sad for them. I think we're upset that we're offended that they had what we want and didn't respect it. Hmm. Or like if I got to where they got, I would never kill myself because I would finally be happy. Um, and the fact is, is that they got all the way to the top. And what they discovered is that that is not the thing. That's not the thing that makes brings happiness. It's the things that we were talking about earlier that are incomprehensible. Having a child falling in love, <laughs> being known, enjoying a meal with friends. Those are the things that point to the truth of life. And, and that is anchored in the very heart of Jesus himself. Yeah, I've always, I've always believed that, that you can never see what's going on in someone else's head. Mm -hmm. And so you shouldn't judge it. So that's kind of one of my morals that I try to live by. It doesn't always work that way. But yeah. every time that I get like a um, judgmental thought in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, that could be true, but this could also be true. And that could also be true. So yeah, it's what you said about like celebrities killing themselves. That would be for me. That's like, okay, yeah, maybe I would want that. Maybe I would want that life. But I haven't lived it, so I don't know what it's like. So mm -hmm. I can't judge it for myself if that's something that I would be happy with because I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's the thing is that what we see in the human experience is that is that, that it's possible to have everything you could ever want and still be absolutely miserable. So that there's got to be something deeper that actually brings contentment to life. And we all know. I mean, life is short. I mean death is a reality. I mean, we've had a global pandemic that, you know, something that it isn't seen. Um, and yet the whole world's become terrified by it. And I mean, it's shut down life as we know it, especially in Portland, we're like a bunch of weirdos here. I'm just like, <laughs> sweet Lord, we've almost all been vaccinated. And why are you still wearing mess masks and acting? I mean, I went and bought that keyboard yesterday and the guys wouldn't even let me come in the store. They're like, and they made me stand back from them while they put the keyboard on the counter. I'm like, I'm like, 
I've already had my first shot. Like, what, what is the problem here? But I just think fear is a very real thing in, in this. And I think it, it's a fear of our mortality because, because it's terrifying to us to think that I'm not happy now and I don't know what's going to happen then. And it's like, there's this deep desire to like, we want to pretend we've, um, we're going to live forever, but the death rate still continues to be one per person. <laughs> and so, and it's like, if this is the only life that we have to live, the, the, the ultimate question is, is that, um, is, you know, what is the quality of that life? And if there is a God who actually created everything and he created you because it's his nature to his love is creative. Uh, and, and he, and it makes sense why sin exists because how could we actually be in a relationship with him if we didn't have the freedom to say no? There's, it's not a relationship if we were just, if we were just automata, which are just robots who he made us and all we do is show him our, our affection. That's not a relationship. Uh, a relationship requires the surrender of someone to another person. Um, when you, you know, there's a, there was a surrender that you gave up of your time to talk with me right now. Yeah. I just think religion is about rules. The gospel is about relationship and that's, and that's, that's where we derive our value and our meaning. I think that's why, why we're seeing so much suicide right now during COVID because it's isolated people. And and the first thing the Bible says about humanity is it's not good that we're alone. I mean, it's a horror. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Do you like, do you, do you like being alone? Yeah. Yeah. I like being alone, but I'm also very open and friendly to other people. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. So, but I, but I still recognize I need people. Uh, And I'm a, luckily for me, I'm a verbal introvert. So I just, I'm always processing every crazy idea in my head, even out loud when no one's around. (laughs) (laughs) i have one question one Mm -hmm. that's like important to me like what is your view on um like aliens and other planets because something my boyfriend mentioned and i was like what what would that be in christianity because obviously it's proven that there are other planets not that there's other life outside of Oros, but yeah i mean i I, I'm I'm not compelled that there's that there's life on other planets, but it wouldn't change anything. That I mean, I, I one of my favorite books I've ever read, a trilogy by C.S. Lewis, um, is a sci-fi trilogy, um, and it's you know, it, and he kind of creates this idea of like God has actually created created life on multiple planets um, because mm-hmm. he's a creative God and he's a loving God and it's his nature to create. Um, and the, and some of the planets haven't experienced a fall and, and one had, you know, so I, it's a cool, it's a cool idea. I, I just think that, um, that for me, I, I don't, I don't give much energy to it because I think there's a, what I do believe fervently in is that there's a spiritual world and that that spiritual world and that there are spiritual beings, um, good and bad, um, and, and uh, in that that world often collides with ours in a way that I think people could believe that it's all sorts of. I think that's why in our history, you know, even where you're where you're from, there's, you know, a whole a whole heritage of these old things called fairy tales. 
Um, and before they were talking about aliens, they were talking about fairies. I think that there's always truth in those things, even back to our Greek mythology, that there's, there's, there are realities or, or um, there, are, there are beings, thinking beings that sit outside of our, our normal experience. And so uh, for me, you know, the scripture, the scripture gives us insight into those things, but that's not the focus of the Bible. And so I, I don't, I try not to give too much, like, I know people that are obsessed with trying to understand angels and demons, for example, or even I have, I've heard one pastor try to argue that there's this one passage in scripture that's pointing to uh, demons that, that are essentially aliens. Like, it's like, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I just don't, there, it's not, it's not something that I like spin my wheels but I'm a big fairy tale guy, so I don't have an issue with people believing in it um, because I think that the that the gospel is is the greatest fairy tale of all time because it's true. And I actually think that our fairy tales actually carry within them probably the greatest truths, which is they always tell us what a sane what a sane person will do in an insane world. It's the modern novel that that gives tells us what what uh, what in same people do in, in a boring world. <laughs> and so, uh, so I don't, I don't have it. I don't think that the idea of life on another planet um, is, uh, is inconceivable or even in conflict with, with, with the essence of the gospel. Thank you. Okay. No, I'm gonna, you, can ask, you can ask your question. Well, I'm going to wrap it all into one question. So that way, uh, <laughs> okay. We always ask the, the same final question, but I want I want to share this. So you shared this time and you shared last time as well, Josh, uh, that it's not hard to talk about someone you love. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the things that you shared the last time you were on this podcast is I know what I was saved from. And you said one of the benefits of being a raging pagan until 27 was knowing the damage of living a life of autonomy. You shared about the freedom that you experienced when you came to Christ. The Finding mm -hmm. Something Real podcast is all about... Um, finding a relationship uh, with Jesus, finding restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, all things that I truly believe as a believer of Christ, we can find in their fullest form in relationship with him. Of those things, um, and, and, and honestly, anything that you've received from Christ, what is it that's most compelling to you? What is it that he saved you from in the sense that now you're, you know, not a raging pagan, but you're a raging Christian who's... <laughs> spent well over an hour here talking with us. What What is it that you find in Christ that you can't find anywhere else? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, life, <laughs> life itself, the joy, the ability to, I see people differently. You know, I, um, before I met Jesus, uh, I, I only cared about myself. You know, I think one of the hard things is when people are, by nature, Dagmar, you strike me as this, as someone who's very just kind and, um, and sweet spirited and, but strong, I can tell you're strong. That's why you kind of remind me of my daughter. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and that's a beautiful quality. And sometimes it's hard for people that are, are by nature good to see the need. Um, but there's a point where those things break down. Um, you know, it's like what I just experienced. It's the things that like come out of nowhere it's like, do we have, I think this is the most important thing to ask ourselves when it comes to why the gospel is so, so profound is that, do we have the foundation that would actually sustain us if something really tragic happened? 
if you thought about the people you love the most suddenly taken from you, do you have a foundation in how you live and what you believe that would actually sustain you through that? Um, and it's not that the gospel frees us from pain by any means, but the gospel gives us something to believe in that says that this life is not all that there is, um, that the best is yet to come. And that there's a God in heaven, in spite of all the pain and the suffering and the hurt that I see around me right now. And there's a lot. Portland is is crazy. It's like a tent city of homeless people addicted to mess, you know, just broken, hurting people, crazy people constantly walking around. Just this morning, you walk by me on my way into the church, uh, just, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs and very much anguish. And, but there's no way to even get to them because they're mentally so broken. If I didn't have Jesus, I would freaking lose my mind because mm. life is hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, I like, it's hard to lose a friend. My brother's in a psych ward right now because he lost his mind last year and his, you know, tried to kill himself twice. Like, I, you know, my dad, I didn't grow up in a safe family. Like I, my dad is dying of alcoholism. There is a lot of despair and hurting. Jesus is the only thing, the, it is the only thing that has given me a satisfactory basis for existence. Um, because I, I, I can't tell you why people hurt, but I can tell you um, that I've met the one that can actually minister to us in the midst of pain. And, and that's the thing that I found in Jesus is not escape from suffering, but a solace that has allowed me to enter into the suffering of others without losing my soul and actually finding joy in it. Because I have the gift, um, as all of us have, when we, when we give our lives to Jesus, because the gift is him himself in us to become the very vehicle by which he reaches into a lost and broken world and touches and saves hurting people. And so the greatest thing that I got from Jesus is the capacity to love. I don't think I knew how to love before. How's that? You know, this actually really, <laughs> this actually really reminds me of a, a case study that I uh, did last year um there was a like a family in the city here Tilburg where um, a girl was actually raped and killed by a pastor mm -hmm. and one of the questions that our professor had for us was how would you communicate with this family because uh, it's kind of hard to believe that even after a pastor of that faith raped and murdered their daughter that they would still believe in that faith but they actually found so much strength in their faith that they stayed christians mm. and they found so much strength there even though something so horrible mm. happened yeah i mean that's the power it's like because the, because the gospel always keeps that balance of understanding that people are broken and sinful and therefore we're not surprised when people do bad things because we know ourselves capable of doing bad things. But at the same time, we believe that Jesus still, in spite of how horribly bad we can, and that's the power. When you read the story of Jesus's own crucifixion, it's instead of saying, if someone hammered nails into my hand, I wouldn't say, father, forgive them. I'd say, father, 
kill this blankety blank <laughs> right now. <laughs> like I would be calling down lightning from heaven if I was the son of God. <laughs> but instead, what does he reveal? He reveals, and he's not asking the father to do something the father's reluctant to do. He's asking the father to do the very thing that the father wanted to do. And the reason he's there, father, I am here to bring about your forgiveness, um, a forgiveness that's readily available. And it's requiring, it required God dying <laughs> and conquering death for us to actually believe that we could be forgiven. And, uh, and that's the, and that's the, the power. I mean, that's a beautiful story of like, and, and there's no way they were able to do that without the ability also to forgive that pastor for what he did to their daughter. And that is it. my friend, uh, Judge Tom Cole, um, his daughter was brutally murdered um, by her, by a, she got hooked on meth and a meth dealer strangled her to death with a wire. And, and I mean, a brutal, violent, violent death. And Tom went into that prison and told that man, Jesus loves you and I forgive you. And I want you to, I want you to know that, that there's a God who loves you in spite of what you've done to my daughter. He still loves you. And there's still hope as long as there is breath in your lungs. Only the gospel can do that. Only the, I don't see any, show me another religion that, that, that lives like that. And I might put my faith in it because <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, uh, Josh White, thank you so much for coming back on here. I think uh, yeah. Doc Mar and I have a lot to talk about on our final episode, that Patreon <laughs> thing. And uh, yeah. just really appreciate your ministry. Um, one of the things you said last time, and I'll close with this, uh, you said you were created as an object of love by God who's not content to exist without you. Love mm -hmm. that. Until next yeah. time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.